Hello lacrosse friends, welcome once again to Box LaBeat, part of the Lacrosse Link family. Make sure you check everything out at lacrosselink.com, including this week's episode featuring Jeff Teat and Marshall Paulus, a pair of first round picks from last year's National Lacrosse League draft. On Box LaBeat this week though, we have a much more established player, Veteran star forward Callum Crawford of the New York Riptide. It still sounds strange to say that because Crawford hasn't had a chance to suit up with the team. He hasn't even been to a training camp with the team, but he is getting to meet some of the folks that he is going to be working with, playing with, and we talked to him as he's about ready to go to New York. Uh, we met caught up at the airport in Oklahoma City. So this week on Box will be Callum Crawford. Thanks so much for being with me, with me lacrosse friends. Enjoy the show. Very excited to have Callum Crawford back on the show from the airport as you're getting ready to do some traveling. Not how we planned it. We have to juggle around the uh, the tech, but we made it work. Welcome back to Boxleby. Thank you. No, it's good to, good to talk to you, my man. It's uh, some normalcy in my life again, and it's nice. Isn't it fun to just talk about lacrosse and with, with lacrosse folks? Yes. Now, luckily, I've been in uh, the state of Oklahoma and COVID has been a very light thing out here uh, the whole time. Um, great, great thing to do for being in the lacrosse business. But uh, so I've been able to, to be around lacrosse lots, but it's a lot different to be around uh, for yourself and your own playing aspirations and career than uh, than coaching and running a program. Right. You've had some other guys there, though, right? Hasn't, um, didn't Jake Fox come there or who, who all have you had there? Yeah, Jake Fox was out here just to to train and and work. I've always I've always mentored young young guys and tried to help them and in some of the off field uh, stuff, you know, training and stuff like that. So a bunch of Ottawa guys. Uh, he, he was out here. Uh, Tyler Thompson's been out here training with us, getting ready for for his rookie season. And I want to talk about all the Ottawa stuff down the road a bit, but as you said, we're, we're here largely to talk about you and your aspirations, your playing career, which obviously like everyone have been put on hold. And uh, how do you feel about the fact that you're going to actually do some things with your, with your NLL team now? It's nice. It's refreshing. I, uh, to be honest, for, forgot what it was like to, uh, to be a player for a bit there and uh, a little nervous, you know, not, not, I haven't been nervous to be in front of a camera and that type of stuff since my rookie year. And I'm, I'm sure I'm fine once I get going, but just the idea of being uh, a player still, and I've had to be a spectator and a fan, you know, watching all the amazing things happening with the PLL and stuff like that. And watching other people get to be professionals and just waiting and waiting and waiting. It's uh, at my age and the uh, length of my career, it's, it's definitely a little taxing on trying to, you know, figure out what, what's the right move for myself going forward. So this is good. This is, you know, a step in the right direction of, of being able to play again and, and enjoy my last however many years. Right. And you mentioned your age, which is 36. You'll be 37 when the next NLL season starts, right? Yes, that is correct. So, the and you've mentioned, you know, your professionalism. And one of the things to me that has allowed you to have success well into your 30s has been your professionalism, your preparation, um, 
and being you know being in shape, being ready to go. And I'm curious how you've maintained that over this what's been challenging for everyone with the pandemic uh, and and not really knowing when you're going to be able to play again. Have you felt like you've been able to keep your fitness, keep your sharpness, or you're working close to it, or where are you? Yeah, uh, we've been training Ryan Fournier, uh, Jake, and then Tyler and stuff since this whole thing began because we keep having these potential, you know, seasons that were going to happen. And uh, my approach to training is always, you know, phases, and we start X amount of months out and getting ready to peak. And uh, you know, we were getting ready for a bubble season at one point, or you know, it was first getting ready for a regular season, hoping that would happen with a you know, December start and that didn't happen. And then it was getting ready for a bubble season and that didn't happen. And so for, for us, it was just, we were going, 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 and I was starting to get beat up physically, mentally, just training to no end and being ready to go that, uh, I actually stepped away last week was my first week back for about stepped away for about a good three weeks. Ryan tries to say it was over a month, but, uh, <laughs> I'm not believing that I'm, I'm taking the, uh, the three weeks here, um, which was the first time that I did not do any type of training or anything since, uh, the big before the last NLL season. So that we were playing. So it, uh, it was needed. It's I'm rejuvenated. I'm, I'm excited to, to just be an athlete again. So. Great to hear. It's, it is challenging. I, I was, a international level rower in my earlier career and and yeah i mean the the training you talk about the macro cycles and micro cycles and you know preparing yourself in waves and, and preparing for your peaks and which is different for for a sport like lacrosse where you're playing regularly versus in rowing we'd really kind of train through a lot of regattas and build towards either you know our world championships or nationals whatever it was but that changes as well when you get into your into your 30s and that right i mean i know in rowing, it's all early on. It's all about building your aerobic base and doing tons and tons of volume. And then later, you're doing a little more high quality aerobic and not quite the same volume, but a little more intensity. Has your training changed a lot in your 30s? Um, not a lot. For me, it's I can judge whether I'm still there or if I'm going to be athletic and good based on how I feel through movement. And I don't necessarily lift the the loads that I used to. I'm not trying to, you know, pick up skyscrapers and stuff anymore that I would have when I was younger, but I still do a lot of jump training and a lot of, you know, athletic footwork and, and cutting mechanics and, and all this stuff that, that I've always done that doesn't involve the weights. I still have a, a weight regime. I just don't push myself to no ends like I did then because uh, the spine treats it a little bit different these days, but um, for me is if I can, if I still feel young, you know, I'm probably going to still be able to to perform uh, to my abilities. Cause my game has always been based off athleticism. I've gotten more intelligent as a player as I've gone through this, but still everything for me has just been athleticism. So uh, that's how I gauge whether, you know, am I still athletic in the gym? Can I still jump and move and do all these things that, that I used to do and do they feel all right? So I always train that way to, you know, if I can train that way, I can play that way. So that's still been my, my way of training. It's just not necessarily as vigorous of a, a weight regime as it used to be. And that's a smart approach. And it's it obviously working or has worked for you up to this point. Cause one of the things that is amazing when you really do a deep dive into the numbers for your career, you've had success throughout your career and all your stops, which have been, you know, a fair number of places you've played. Um, 
But Banesh is more than me now, I think. Banesh so is that. ahead of you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I know there's a few others. I think Matt Giles may be the record holder. I think he was at about 11 if you count teams he went back to. But Dawson's got to be up there players. too. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, in your career, you've had five seasons where you average six or more points per game. And I don't know if you even know this, if, if how much you look at stuff like this. Probably not a lot is my guess, but 2010, you averaged exactly six points per game for Minnesota. 2013, 6.8 points per game. You had 95 points in just 14 games. 2016, you go to Colorado, and you averaged 6.4 points per game with 115 in an 18-game season. 2019 in New England, your highest yet, 6.81 points per game with 109 in 16 games. And then 2020 in New England, you're even higher. Uh, in the 11 games you guys got to play, 76 points, which is 6.91 per game. It's a lot of numbers, but basically what it says is three of your four best seasons have come in came in the last six years that you played, which means it's kind of an unprecedented, fairly unprecedented way for an athlete, a professional athlete's career to go, getting that much better in the second half you know, continuing to improve in the second half and improve. And I'm wondering what you put that down to. You have mentioned many times to me that, that you think you've gotten to be a smarter player and a better teammate as you've, as you've got more experience. Is that a big part of it? I honestly think that's the majority of it. I haven't gotten more athletic or anything. I think that's something I've always had. If anything, it's diminishing the older I get. I think it's just, I've, I've got to play with so many great players and under so many great coaches that, as much as it to them, it may have seemed like I didn't pay attention or I, or I wasn't learning or respecting the knowledge they have. Uh, I I've taken so much from every single season and an opportunity. And I think that's just a big part of it is I've obviously privilege of playing with some incredible players and can't have statistical success without that. Um, but it's also, I just, I'm a better lacrosse player. I understand the game so much more. I, tell everyone I didn't understand how to play. I thought lacrosse was me just beating you to the net and your buddies when they slid to me and still being able to get them. That was my idea of what lacrosse was before turning professional. Um, there's a reason why I wasn't very good early in my professional career because clearly I learned quickly. That's not what real lacrosse is. And I had to learn to do those things. Um, so I think that's why is uh, things not that the game is easy by any chance, but things have come easier because I understand the game better now. And I would, honestly credit that to uh why probably i've gotten better as i get older because it's it's definitely not uh the athleticism part because like i said that's that's on its way down for sure and to me one of the really interesting things about what you say there and the the whole concept of you getting better because you're getting better involving your teammates and not thinking about it as you having to do everything is the points have gone up largely because your goal scoring has gone up before 2019 you had exactly one season where you scored more than two goals per game. That was in 2013. You had 32 goals in 14 games, 2.29 per game. But 2019 and 2020, you scored three goals per game each of those seasons. Now, I know you're gonna what you're gonna say. Part of it is volume. You were on pace for a career high in shots with 332 pace in 2020. But it feels like there's more to it than that. It feels like getting everyone involved has opened up chances for them, but in return has opened up better chances for you in a lot of cases, I think. Um, that's definitely part of it. I know in Minnesota, how many years did I play with Banesh? Uh, I understood that he was at the, that time and one of our greatest 
goal scorers in league history. Right. Uh, how do you not feed that guy the ball? And then I got to play with guys like Kiel Matisse and Shane Jackson and, and other guys who were just so incredible as well that I think, you know, for me, it was, I have the ability to give those guys the ball. They could score. And it was probably less feeling like I had to do it or more asked of me. If I had to guess, um, that was part of it. And then going to Colorado when I was recruited there as a free agency, it was recruited there to be behind Jeremy Noble and support Adam Jones and support John Grant jr. So that's where, you know, I, I've always been a ball distributor, but I tried to take that to another level because that's why they wanted me to be a part of that team was to support and play under those guys. And, I did have success there and stuff, but, uh, that was probably part of it. When I was brought to new England, um, you know, I was replacing their main guy, which was obviously Kevin Crowley's there. who's an incredible goal scorer, but I think that was part of it as a confidence thing was, you know, Sean Evans is, if you look at our draft, probably the best player of my generation of those years all the way through. Um, and I was traded for him. So expectation maybe, you know, for me was, was, you know, to do a little bit more, um, myself. And I think that's where maybe it all just kind of came together. And again, it's, it's guys putting the ball in the net. It's guys doing such a great job of giving me opportunities to be successful. I played with Tyler Digby. I think anybody that's played with Tyler Digby can tell you that guy creates space better than anyone they've ever met. Uh, so there's so many things that go, go into it, but, uh, uh, sometimes it's also just the ball's falling and you're not necessarily doing anything extra or better and just the ball finding a way to get in the back of the net. So that brings us to your new club, the New York Riptide, and what your role is there. What is the role as you understand it or as it's been communicated to you? Because obviously you're going to have Jeff Keat there coming in as a rookie. Um, you know, you've got uh, you've got some talent around you, but you're it's it's definitely obviously a second year club, younger, newer club. Do you have the same kind of leading role, do you think, there? Or how do you think it's going to work out? Yeah, I think, obviously, it hasn't been... It's not something that's ever really voiced that much, like, hey, we need you to do this or do that. But, um, you know, when you when you get recruited, you tend to know you're, you're recruited to play somewhere based off of your skill set, or why would they be, be after you? So um, much of just what I've always done and, and being the player that, that I've been on the floor, but I also have a responsibility and I try to do this before being in New York, but to help these younger guys that are on that team, they have some really, really special young talent, um, obviously Teeter, but uh, you've got Gibby over there too. And, and, you know, I'm very high on Tyler Thompson, who they drafted. Um, there's some really good young talent. So if I can provide any, you know, insight or, or mentoring in any shape or form, uh, I think that's an added thing in, in all the years that I've been around that hopefully I can, you know, be, be a contributor in that side of things to help, um, in a locker room and, and players and, and how can they be successful as professionals as well as, us as a team collectively but on on field playing wise is you know for me it's just a it's always about making the right play and the right play is, is passing the ball the right play is setting a pick as much as you know I, I think the word is I don't set those but you know when it's the right thing and, and whatnot uh, that's always going to be the play I don't think anybody's on there or should be on there just to do one thing and I think it's always uh, it's our jobs as players and if we're the guys with the ball more times than not is is the right play the right place to shoot the ball to shoot it it's the right place to pass it passes so i i anticipate that's what you know they want of, of me uh in new york and what they want of all their players i think it would be fair to say you don't set picks the way that tyler digby does 
but, uh, <laughs> but who does really, right? Yeah, and we saw what happened the one time I tried to set one, and that <laughs> didn't go very well. Um, um, no, for sure. And, and you know, I had to play off ball for my first four years of my career. I got to play with Jeff Zawicki and Luke Wiles, and, and I know how to do it. Um, I think it's I, – I believe I'm more of an asset when I'm – carrying and distributing and whatnot, but I'm always going to do whatever is needed of me and I'll do it the best that I can. And, uh, as long as, uh, you know, I'm contributing in a positive way, I'm excited to be there. When you joined the Riptide and it's been such a long time since things were really happening. So it's easy to kind of forget, but at the time, I mean, you were leaving a team that had finished first in the league to sign with a new team that had played one season, won one game in that season. And I remember hearing an interview and you said, Hey, I want to go and I want to win a championship and, you know, make this a very successful club. And for those of us on the outside looking in, leaving the first place team to sign with the last place team just doesn't look like the best way to go about winning a championship. But what was your thought process in terms of being able to win with the riptide with the way it was configured? Yeah, for sure. Um, it wouldn't make sense if we said everything was just about winning. And for me as an athlete, every time I play, and it doesn't matter whether it's, it's lacrosse or it's pickup basketball, or it's, you know, we're doing a competitive training drill between the young guys and myself in the gym. I have to win at everything I'm doing. It doesn't mean I'm going to, but mentally I hate losing so incredibly much that everything I'm going to do. And I knew that going there is I'm going to do everything I can to hopefully win. Um, I hope I can have an impact to, to lead that team to that by the time I retire and that's the goal and it's is to do that. But uh, for me to sign there, it's so many more things than just, just winning was to be a part of growing something. Um, the conversations I had, not only with management, but ownership and what they want that organization to be and how I can help it get there. Um, life after lacrosse and it, it being a place that, that I can hopefully be a part of long past my retirement in some shape or form and building box across in long Island and all these things. So there's so many things that go into that decision, um, beyond just winning. Uh, but for me, I get to know, you know, I am incapable of coasting. I'm incapable of just showing up to, to pick up a paycheck. I just don't have that ability to not compete every time I, I step into something. And that's the goal. And you've seen the moves they, they've gotten potentially the most impactful generational player of his generation and Jeff T to be in that organization. And they're doing the right things and they're motivated to change you know, the ship as quickly as they possibly can. And it's exciting to be a piece of that ship. I want to talk, as we alluded to earlier, about the, about Ottawa. You're from uh, Stittsville, technically, right? But I wish No, I'm no? from Gloucester. Is that wrong? I'm, you are Gloucester. Okay. I'm from Gloucester. I moved in, and lived. So I guess whenever you fill out the NLL paperwork, you have to put your address and everybody just assumes whatever. Okay. There was a time where everybody thought I was from Calgary because the address <laughs> I was living at was a Calgary address. So, um, okay. no, I'm, I'm born and raised. Uh, I'm a Gloucester product. Okay. There you go. That makes more sense. I, I saw the Stittsville thing. I thought, Hmm. I should have I should have checked beforehand because I know I have seen some and I've just said that is not where he's from, but uh, I, I fell for it. So uh, anyway, it's Gloucester, all Ottawa. <laughs> it's all Ottawa. You're a Gloucester guy, an Ottawa guy. Um, Ottawa in that area, across in the the national capital area, just seems to be on the rise. Um, you've been a big part of that growth. Um, as a former head coach at the University of Ottawa, you're helping out on the, the field side there, co-founder of the Ottawa Capitals, um, 
field across and training, you know, tra um, travel program, really helping to develop players. You've done, I, I've seen you at all kinds of events and, you know, we've run into each other at all kinds of things that you've been involved in, but you've also been now for a while more outside of it to an extent because your career, ha career has taken you, like you said, to Oklahoma and things. So I'm wondering what it's like for you seeing it happening and how close you're able to stay to that area's lacrosse community and, and still have your finger on the pulse of, of Ottawa lacrosse. Um, well, I'm just a piece of that growth. I, there's been some incredible people, um, that have done a lot, you know, Jay Fox has done a lot for the recruiting scene in Ottawa, um, builders and Matt Firth and Jason Tosse in really elevating the level of play and, uh, professionalism of the organizations in, in that city are a huge contributor to it. Um, but now I just, you know, I get to sit back and, and support, you know, how I can. And there's only so much I can do from afar. But, uh, you know, I'm a fan and I'm very prideful of where we're from because anybody who knows what Ottawa was like or Gloucester was, well, 26 years ago, probably when I would have been coming up and playing, um, it's, it's night and day different. So to see where the sport is now in a place like that, uh, it's, it's exciting. You know, I, I'm hoping they get an opportunity to have a junior A team in that city soon because I think they deserve it. And, um, but now I just get to be a fan and appreciate what everybody currently is doing there. And I'm always here to help if, if I can, but uh, there's only so much I can do from half the continent away. The guys that you mentioned, I just wanted to give people a little bit more and you can help fill it out as well. Matt Firth, my understanding, I mean, he's been very involved with minor lacrosse, uh, highly involved in developing the programs in that area. Uh, Jay Fox, uh, Capitals lacks uh, major on the, the recruiting side and on the helping players discover what their opportunities are. And, and on Twitter. Don't forget. And and, on oh, Twitter. my goodness. <laughs> oh my yeah. I, <laughs> there are times where Jay, I'm like, yeah, Jay. And there are times I'm like, oh, Jay, just stop. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. Well, the hardest part was when I was younger is everybody thought, well, aren't, is, is this you? Yeah. Because, you know, I was like, no, no. <laughs> That is a hundred percent. I don't, I don't tweet. I'm not a tw yeah. Twitter guy. So I'm so far away, but Jay is entertaining. <laughs> yes. He's, uh, he's, he's entertaining and he is very active <laughs> in the Twitter. <laughs> uh, and Jason Tasse um, running the, the capital region uh, Axman and uh you know, being the, the senior B team, very involved and, in that. And, and Nepean, honestly, he's, he's, he, I think him and Matt Firth were hand in hand through the minor organization yeah. all the way through. Um, so they're, they're truly huge buildings. That's not to discredit what, what people in Gloucester have been doing, but I think, uh, you know, the one that's been really on the map in, in the lacrosse world in Ontario has been Nepean. And it's, it's honestly, they're not solo in their efforts, you know, Jason and, and Matt, they're, they're at the forefront and, but it's all the incredible volunteers that are behind them and supporting them and allowing them to, you know, see their vision of lacrosse through. And we've seen the fruits of that labor, I think. And it really is paying off. I mean, you mentioned some guys, uh, you know, Jake Fox has been there training with you in Oklahoma and he's obviously on the, the Riptide roster of being a second round pick, Ty Thompson, another second round pick. I haven't heard him called Tyler before, but you know him better than I do. So, um, I'll go with that uh, with you with Tyler Thompson, uh, another Riptide draft pick who's uh, who's come up from the area. Ryan Fournier, um, and there are other guys. I mean, just you know, recent news like Jordan Trache being part of a trade with the Panther City draft. Who came up in the area, and you know, people started to know him. Some folks who hadn't seen him earlier, you know, saw him at New Westminster and think, oh, he's a Western guy. No, no, he's from from the Ottawa yep. area. Um, and there are just so many. Um, yeah, players, Aaron, uh, Forrester, Aaron Forrester, Sam Perth, yeah. yeah, Nick yeah. Finley. Yeah, 
Yeah. So all kinds yeah. of guys who are making their way in the professional game that uh, it's, it's pretty exciting to see. And, and I'm, I know you're excited about having some of those guys potentially playing with you in New York. What, uh, I don't know, is there anything that stands out for you as kind of a turning point for Ottawa when, when things really started to click? I think it was just a combination of, of everything coming together. The development that was put in by, by the guys in Nepean, and that's not to discredit guys who were ahead of, of Matt Firth and mm-hmm. Jason Tossi, like the Trotches and the Tyler Thompsons. And, and that group was with, you know, uh, JP Keeley's dad, Kirk Keeley. And um, I forget Aaron Forrester's dad's first name, but um, Mr. Forrester, you know, those guys yeah. did such a great job getting those kids to a certain level. And then the willingness to go leave Ottawa was, you know, to play a higher level across and go to, uh, Peterborough or, or wherever it was, it, it's the kids' willingness to do that that I think we, we're seeing a ton of success uh, of kids. And that's where I think the need for a junior A program in Ottawa is there is we're having to send kids away at 16 years old to do what's best for them to achieve their goals. And there's a lot of good talent there now. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's, I don't know if there's one turning point. I think at the same time, we were able to get a club program to help kids get to college in Ottawa, you know, before that everybody had to go play an edge, which was a four and a half hour hour drive each way just to to practice and stuff. And that's edge is such an incredible program. It's not that it wasn't worth it. It was just, it's not realistic for for most families. Not everybody is a lacrosse nerd like uh, Jay Fox and willing to drive his kids to the moon and back to to get to where they need to be. Um, Which it takes, you know, my mom was one of those parents too, take us wherever it was needed to be, but it's not realistic for everybody. Uh, So I think, the combination of having a club program in, in Ottawa itself to help kids in the recruiting aspirations, as well as just some great minor development and, and junior development and everything kind of all happening at the same time, I think uh, was just the breakthrough to kind of get kids where they need to be. And on the map because the talent's always been there. It's just whether they, they were going to get the opportunity to shine or not. You mentioned J.P. Keeley, who's another guy that I missed. I knew we were going to miss some people, but J.P., absolutely electric talent. And, of course, his younger brother, Corson, who is in the draft this fall and you know could be a first-rounder. There's a lot of lefties in that sort of just past the first, the very top group. So it's hard to say where that'll fall, but uh, so much talent, like you said. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things go from there. From here, speaking of which, what, uh, what's your next step? You're, you're heading to New York right now as we speak, right? Yeah, I'm heading out to LaGuardia and uh, going to do some media stuff and get to meet Jeff Teat for the first time. So that'll be fun to put a uh, handshake to the name. Um, but yeah, no, just heading out there. And then from there, I head to uh, Colorado Springs for a club tournament for my teams out here. So I'm kind of all over the place this week. Anything in particular you want to do while you're there? And Jeff was saying he's going to, I think you guys are going to go see the Nassau Coliseum and just get a feel for the place. Um, yeah, we're going to be doing that. What else are we doing? Uh, I think we're, we're going to be some other media stuff. I thought maybe going to one of the hospitals and stuff, just getting involved in the, uh, into the community is going to be good. I think we're doing a clinic with, uh, with a group there, which will be fun. And nice. just to be honest, just to be a part of this organization, because, you know, since this has happened, I haven't, haven't done anything NLL wise. So I'm just excited to just step foot and, and be a professional cross player again for, for the, you know, couple of days I'm there. Sounds great that you're getting to go there. And I know we're all excited for the season to come again. And uh, I'm, I'm certainly excited to see you back on the floor because you were doing, you were playing so well. I mean, the last couple of seasons, that you have had 
you kind of, I think people get normalized and just think, okay, yeah, Callum's playing really well. He's, he's been, you know, I, I think most, a lot of people, if not most of them would say the top player in the league over the last couple of seasons, which to go back to my early point is not really normal <laughs> for someone in their, in their mid thirties, right. To, to kind of elevate to that level. So I'm very curious to see how it is for you. I'm sure you're curious to see how it is when you step back on the floor and how, how it is just jumping in. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's that question mark. Do you still have it and, and whatnot for me? Uh, you know, with some of my best years, I think you less see people maybe peaking at the old, their older ages versus kind of just staying consistent through, you know, I think Dan Dawson has been great all the way through and yeah. he just was better at it earlier on than I was. Uh, Shawnee, you know, he's just better at it earlier on than I was. And, and all these guys, you know, junior was still ripping it up at, 36 years old just he was always ripping it up i think yeah. that's just kind of the difference is you know it took me a while to build up some steam and get going and and live up to athletic potential and i think the hard work is has given me some some statistical uh success over the last few years and it's rewarding but it's uh it's all for none if if we can't put together a championship and stuff like that and that's where i talk about just that that competitive desire it's it's easy to say i want to win i want to win but just anybody who knows me as a human being um, from the littlest thing of, of having an argument with you uh, I'm unwilling to lose. And, you know, that's where it's, I, I measure success so much off of championships and, you know uh, yes, some people sign and go to pursuit the other way. You know, they try to sign at the best opportunity they could uh, to win one. And for me, it was a total package of having the opportunity to help build something and, and be a main piece to, if this, team does have a chance to win a championship knowing, you know, I didn't just ride so much coattails to get it, that I had an opportunity to be an impact on why they won. And you mentioned a bunch of guys who were great players for a long time. And maybe the, uh, the exemplar of it, of course, John Tavares played well into his forties and was at a high level, pretty close till the end. So it's not like, it's not like you're done. You, you could have some time, especially given the way you take care of yourself. Definitely not playing to the time that he did. I promise you that (laughs) one of two things, my body will fall apart or be my wife will divorce me. But um, no, yeah, he was in, he was incredible and just always incredible. Uh, And it was fun to, to be able to watch and and be a part of our sport when you have such incredible athletes and we're seeing it now, you know, Lyle Thompson's going to be doing this all the way through until he's 40 and, and whatnot. So there's some, some incredible talent now in the league coming up in the league and, and all these things that it's, it's just fun to be a part of. It's always great to catch up. Appreciate you taking the time while you're uh, while you're in the airport, and I'm glad we were able to work it out. Safe travels, and I can't wait to uh, run into you at a rink again sometime. No, for sure. I look forward to it. It's always a pleasure getting to catch up with Callum Crawford and hearing his insights into the game of lacrosse and some insights into life. I think a really interesting guy who has uh, matured very well in the National Lacrosse League. I'm Stephen Stamp, your host here at Box Beat. Lots of interesting stuff coming up on the podcast in the next few weeks. Uh, getting some details sorted out, but looking forward to sharing some of the great guests that we have coming up in the next few weeks. Also, make sure you do check out everything at lacrosselink.com. The video show each week is terrific. Tanner Fetch and I are the co-hosts. This week, we welcome guests Jeff Teat and Marshall Paulus, a pair of first-round picks from last year's NLL draft. And in the rundown, we take a little 
prognostication, a shot at prognosticating who will be the rookie of the year in the NLL if it's not Jeff Teat, who clearly is the consensus favorite. So lots to enjoy in Lacrosse Link, the show. Hope you have enjoyed this episode of Box Labeat. My thanks to Callum Crawford. My thanks to you, lacrosse friends, for being here. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Remember, check it all out, lacrosselink.com. Make sure you subscribe to Box Labeat and to Lacrosse Link. <laughs>